Music Biz 101 and more, Brave New Radio. William Patterson, The University. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with my co-host, is he on? Dr. Esteban. On assignment. Marconi, there he is, calling in on assignment. And uh, yeah. we're going to have a great show. We're going to cut all the intro stuff because uh, we started a little bit late. Our guest tonight, yeah. our guest tonight, Ben Weinman, guitarist. Entrepreneur from Dillinger Escape Plan, Draft Tongue Orchestra, manager of Kimbra, owner of Party Smasher Inc. We also have Ashley Weltner, who is our engineer. Ashley Weltner. Ashley. We also have Nick Spillert of A Boy Named John. Very, hey. excellent, very excellent band. And there we go. This Friday, College Radio Day. Make sure you do that. MusicBiz101WP.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Follow us all the time on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at MusicBiz101WP. We're going to get right going right away. And... Uh, we want to thank Ben for being here. Th so, Ben, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You sound like you've done this before. It's my first time. Very nervous. <laughs> first time, long time, right, Marconi? That's right. See, there we go. You can feel the energy. Um, why don't we start rather than uh, Marconi? I was just talking to him about when we interviewed Carl Palmer. And Carl Palmer yeah. told us, um, if you're going to tell, ask questions that anybody can find on Google, then I don't want to do the interview. Exactly, yeah. So we're going to skip right. all that, all the Google stuff. And start yeah. with, uh, if you're cool with this, Marconi, then definitely jump in. Um, we're just uh, four days removed from uh, a mass shooting, mm. a mass shooting in our country's history, uh -huh. Las Vegas, from the, uh, the country uh, festival when uh, Jason Aldean, who's Jason Aldean was on, on stage. Um, and that follows on the heels of the Manchester bombing with Ariana Grande mm -hmm. a few months ago. Then there was the Paris attack with the Eagles of Death Metal of course, yeah. a year and a half. Um, you have played shows with the band, with your bands, all over the mm -hmm. world. And from your perspective, um, can we talk about how safe you feel on stage? And have you played yeah. in Paris where the Eagles of Death Metal? I haven't played at that venue, but I, I was, you know, I had a lot of f friends involved with Eagles. Some of the guys were with Eagles of Death Metal when it happened. Um, you know, it, it was definitely, it was close to home, that one. And um, still to this day, I'm hearing about all kinds of com um, complications with that band even after that horrible event you know they have trouble traveling and there's still so much uh, psychologically you mean psychologically yeah. and even just the fact that I'm sure governments whenever they go into different there's still so many questions about that mm -hmm. that that thing that they they even sometimes I think even have to be questioned before shows by the governments and stuff like that because there's still so many, so many unanswered questions about how that could have happened. Um, so yeah, certainly it was a, uh, a shock. There was an article on Billboard about a week ago about a German band that's been trying for about six months. They had a, a tour all set up here, mm. and for six months they've been trying to get the visas to come over here. Yeah. And they have not been able to, and they hired extra law firms to help them out. They paid extra money, yeah. and, it, and it didn't happen. Are, really? Are I'm you, surprised. Yeah. German um, band. 
Yeah, exactly. Huh. They had no idea why either. And so uh, I think. Uh, I, I can't tell if they're, you just mentioned how with Eagles of Death Metal, mm -hmm. when they're going to different territories, that they're getting more questions. So is that, yeah, yeah. are you noticing that? Like when you guys play Poland and you guys have been in Europe, has it been any different lately? Not really. Um, I will say this, that I, that, you know, when that incident happened in Paris, I almost wasn't surprised, and I have to tread lightly, but... Um, you know, in fact, maybe I was surprised that there wasn't more devastation because that country particularly always seemed pretty lax about security coming in. So whether that's right or wrong, um, mm -hmm. I I can remember multiple times just driving through those borders with a bus and a trailer and getting really little <laughs> uh, trouble from these guys. And I always thought that was great and until you're in a time where you almost wish you did get a little more trouble. And who knows what's in that trailer, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt like like uh, France particularly was very lenient compared to the other countries as far as border crossings and things like that. Um, so, you know, that was just my personal uh, experience. Um, but at any rate, I do think that um, – so some of that stuff certainly tightened up as we travel everywhere, all over the world. Um, and you have to ask yourself questions you never would have until things like this started happening. Um yeah, well, getting back to this weekend, um, I I think I read where a, a road manager said it was only going to be a matter of time. That's that something was going to happen when you corral so many people like that, mm. not the escape routes that there would normally be on something I guess that was fixed rather than just set up for a weekend or a week or whatever. Yeah, it's set up for a weekend of mass consumption, not, you know, yeah. mass evacuation. So, yeah, exactly. It, it is, uh, it is a, a bad situation for something to go wrong. The question I have is whether or not these things are really new or whether or not in this day and age with social media and all the outlets that we just hear about it so much more. I mean, um, uh, you know, again, uh, I'm older, you know, yeah. you guys are older than me, I'm older than you, than you guys here, but, um, you know, I, sometimes I think to myself, I have to think back to when I was a kid, was, was there really less of these kind of things happening, or were they just different, or were they just not talked about constantly over the, over the internet, you know? One day, the New York Times ran an article, uh, one day this week, with mm. a chart starting with the Sandy Hook kids, mm. and how Congress has done nothing and they, uh, you know, they listed all the tragedies right up until last weekend. Right. And there has been nothing done. So I would tend to think that it's probably more prevalent now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether we're hearing it faster, of course. But I believe it, it really is probably just, there seems to be an anger in this country. And uh, I'm not saying they're taking it out, but it's just, uh, it becomes that... Uh, it sort of comes to the surface, this anger. We don't know why, what provoked mm. this guy, but it comes to the surface and then something happens. Yeah, that may be the case. Um, that may be the case. It's tough. I mean, don't tell my parents that or they won't let me go on tour. You know, I tell, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling them, like, it's not that bad. We just hear about it more. Things were happening. They're all, I mean, I remember well, the Oklahoma remember the bombing. I mean, you know, like, right, yeah. you know, um, but you know, maybe you're right. Movie. 
Yeah. Remember the Blues Brothers movie where they put up the chicken wire? That's right. They were throwing bottles. Well, right. You take a well, I'm used bottles. to that. I mean, that's not big. <laughs> Wait a couple. Of minutes, <laughs> but this is, you know, it's just beyond, it's beyond belief. Yeah. Um, well, back, I remember when I was uh, a kid in 79, the big concert issue was, wasn't so much terrorism, it was uh, the general admission seating. Right. And there was a Who yeah. concert at Riverfront Stadium right. in Cincinnati. Right. In and uh, they just opened up the doors and 11, basically, teenage kids got trampled. Well, and then uh, that, that yeah. at Riskilda Festival uh, in Denmark, there was Pearl Jam. I remember the same thing happened. A lot of people were crushed against the barrier and, and very injured, and I think some were killed. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. There was, was an early hip hop one. I believe in uh, it was a city college in New York. Yeah. And down a stairway, and the door—the only way you could get in was the door had to open into the crowd, and the crowd pushed so much, right. people were st uh, you know stampeded mm. uh, because they could never they couldn't get that door open. Right. So I guess the question is: uh, Should should people um, now uh, talking music business is the only form of revenue for some of? For most of the artists today, uh, now tainted is it? Is it like people shouldn't be going out and going to concerts either? <laughs> is YouTube now the only way to uh, experience music? Well, I think in that way? the industry has to take a breath, a deep breath, because yeah. I was talking to a class on Monday, and we were talking about the knee-jerk reaction is, and I'm sure this happens from bands, from agents, from labels. Knee-jerk reaction is cancel everything. I don't want to go out there. Uh, I'm afraid for myself. I'm afraid for my fans. But you do realize agents get 10%, right? Yeah. I, go, yeah. I haven't heard an agent tell any band not to play ever. But. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so the, the artists are saying, yeah, okay, uh, the artists and managers. You know, some, some, there are a lot of people who are probably, because I, I would say you're, you're a regular person. I mean, you're, you're very successful as a musician, but you're also a regular human being. And yes. so you get afraid of things, and you know, other people get scared about mm -hmm. stuff and after 9-11 I remember the first time I went on a plane it was uh, maybe three weeks later oh, wow. and you're just looking at everybody definitely you know, yeah. it's completely different yeah. Yeah. And, and you need to basically I guess just be more aware of what's going on I think more aware is the answer yeah. you can't yeah. be in fear mm -hmm. live in fear I never I never have you know mm -hmm. I've never I think my whole career has about, been about just jumping head first and hoping you land on your feet mm -hmm. Like literally, figuratively, philosophically, mentally, like you just gotta go for it, and, but be more aware and be as careful as you can, you know. Right. I've noticed like security at, at venues has definitely stepped up a lot. I was just at Brooklyn Steel last night. Uh, they have the metal detector there, and really, as soon as you get out of the metal detector, they uh, pat you down and everything, and they're doing it for every single person. They're doing yeah. a very thorough check. And before it was just like you just hand in your ticket, they pat you down, and that's it. You walk in. Yeah. You know, it's definitely stepped up a lot since. Sure, yeah. Lot, yeah, liability and uh, people are really taking it seriously. Yeah. That brings up a, talking about the business. So, insurance rates, mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. think, might start to rise for whether it's a. a Performing insurance? Yeah, a live, a live nation. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't, I don't get it. I don't have insurance. <laughs> You've never had insurance? No. Nah. How come? Because then I'll get sued every day. Yeah, really? <laughs> You, who wants to sue somebody who doesn't have a million dollar insurance policy? What, what lawyer is going to go after some kid, you know? I mm -hmm. consider myself a kid still. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 
that, insurance policy yeah. is a friend of lawyers of ambulance mm-hmm. chasers. <laughs> that's that's right. that's basically what I've learned. So that's that's very interesting. So um, <laughs> you manage the artist Kimbra. Yeah. Does she have an insurance policy? She does, and in fact, it's a it's a question because um, right now we're booking tours for her. Uh, in Europe and in many regions where she hasn't really had a lot of exposure um, and while most people know her from that that Gautier hit that Somebody I Used to Know song um, you know her own music is still there's still many places where people have yet to experience her so we're working on developing her in different places um, yet it's very typical for someone a major label artist to in some regions do very well and have a lot of exposure to get all the insurance, you know, terrorist insurance, liability insurance, equipment insurance, everything, and that stuff costs a lot. So, you know, I'm faced with these questions sometimes when she's doing more promotional kind of touring. Do we expend that? Do we? Do we? Is that a, a worthwhile expense? You know, to to, right. to spend all that six thousand dollars for a show? You mm-hmm. know, or, or not? So that's a tough question. Because, uh, well, Dillinger Escape Plan, you, you were in Poland in February yeah. and involved in an accident that was not your fault, but you were hit by a truck. Right. Um, and so there was, uh, I guess you have your personal life insurance, insure, not your health yeah, insurance yeah. and all that. Yeah, you know, not, a, not all of us have health insurance, uh-huh. though. Okay. Um, I'm not sure Greg has health insurance. I don't know. It's too expensive? For, or He just refuses to, to give his money to anyone. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to be told anything. Like I will not be told that I have to go to a doctor. Or, <laughs> but I think in all of us in our older ages taking it more seriously. Um, but uh, I'm not sure. You know, he might have it now. But um, at any rate, yeah. I mean, we have our personal insurance, and the bus is covered, and and the your rental companies have their insurance, and there's definitely a lot of insurance <laughs> involved in taking out. You know. A, $60,000 vehicle, renting a $60,000 vehicle or whatever, but um, yeah, personally we didn't have like any kind of um, banned liability insurance or anything like that. Right. On our personal gear, we don't have insurance and things like that, which most people think is insane, you know, but... Does any personal gear, uh, is any of that covered by homeowner's insurance though? No. It's not. I mean, you can get, I guess... Uh, increased policies that may cover stuff in your house mm-hmm. if there's a flood or whatever. But typically, from my experience of having a studio in my house completely flooded, um, anything that's not attached mm-hmm. to the building, you know, if it's if it, it doesn't get covered unless you have specific insurance, mm-hmm. extra insurance for that. Either way, that that I don't think would have been covered uh, in in like an auto situation. Right. So, Marconi, thoughts on insurance? Yeah, right. <laughs> Aflac. <laughs> this is this is getting a little deep, mm-hmm. but not in a fun way. But but it's the real way. I mean, nobody would give me equipment insurance. I've broken like a billion guitars. In my life. <laughs> well, there's a picture so, on the web. Well, I, I was pulling up pictures of you, um, and, and there's this picture of you. One of the first ones, if you go to Google Images, of you, your your right eye is yeah. somebody like punched you in the face or something. Your right eye is completely swollen shut. There's like blood coming out of your. Do you yeah, know that what was that recent. was from? I, I, that I wasn't too long ago. I couldn't find yeah. where that was, and I couldn't find where yeah, Everybody that. likes a good bloody photo, I guess. But, um, <laughs> I mean, God, you know, I've gotten stitches in my face so many times. I'm lucky. I'm very lucky mm-hmm. that my, I haven't really seriously injured my eyes. But, 
Yeah, no, that was, I think, uh, from a collision on stage with Greg, actually. So oh, you guys just bumped into each other? Yeah, and that was bad. Like, that's on stage from, like, the videos and stuff that I've seen. It, it, it's really difficult to predict uh, yeah. what's going to happen mm -hmm. when you play 30 shows in a row and with lights and strobes. And every, we play anywhere from, you know, we'll play, like, for fun, we'll play, like, a 200-cap bar mm -hmm. or, like, you know, our next... Our, next New York shows like 9,000 tickets mm -hmm. or we'll play 500 cap room or we'll play 2,000 cap like the the range of size rooms we play is so drastic across the board that like there's no way we could get used to any environment that would uh, in, that would you know give us any kind of like lay of the land in a way you know like it, it's just gonna happen it's gonna happen so we just accept it yeah. <laughs> Mark yeah, Marconi got. Yeah, question. I I was an opening act in the early seventies, and you know, on the weekends, be in arenas playing for ten thousand, twelve thousand, yeah. twenty thousand people. Then to make money and to make your rent, you'd have to go back and you play the two hundred seat bars, right? So on. How do you keep the band up? You know that they're going to play well mm -hmm. at that two hundred after they just got off a weekend with. Uh, in my case, it would might have been. With the Grateful Dead, or yeah, that's amazing. Something you know, and then having to go back and play that that place. I mean, we would like play when we do support tours. We often will play that same night in a smaller club, like a punk venue. So, um, uh, like we just did a well, we didn't just do, but a, we did like an entire U.S. tour with the Deftones as a support act, and then uh, many of those shows we then went and played that after our set. We'd get in the cars and like borrow gear and go play another show and right um, so i mean let alone being tired after a tour like that we would just exhaust ourselves um so i i mean i don't i don't think it's a healthy thing i'm not <laughs> i don't have a good answer for you i mean we pretty much have been um worn down <laughs> over 20 years pretty bad but right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you guys uh do have the plan you're it, it... I guess you've announced your last shows mm -hmm. that are taking place in New York City in December, mm -hmm. um, and then and then allegedly you're going to disband. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, can you kind of talk about why? I mean, you've you've sort of told me before, but you know, yeah. getting off the road and, and mm -hmm. growing up, why why is this? Well, I think for one, uh, most importantly, I think it's the right artistic decision. Mm -hmm. Um. And we've been around since 1997. Uh, this band has been in one shape or form existing only until now, 2017. And um, we've seen it all. You know, we've seen so many scenes come and go. And we've seen bands be massive and then be nothing and like struggling to play a, a small venue. And we've seen friends of ours want to kill each other. Like the people who started a band out of the love of music and just concern each other's brothers, like hating each other, you know? And, um, we just didn't want it to end like that. And after 20 years, I said to myself while writing our last album, where do I see myself in five years? And I was like, same place I saw myself last five years and the same place I saw, like, it, I just realized that one day this has to end. We can't continue to do this at our age, at the level that we're doing it. I don't want to do it any, any lesser. <laughs> I, I don't want. I wouldn't accept doing it in any uh, of a lesser capacity than we're able to do it now. And um, the only way to do this right is to control it, not wait till 
there's less people at the shows or we can't stand the sight of each other or our music isn't inspired anymore and we were about to put an album out that we felt really passionate about we were at the top of our game live our shows were bigger than ever so to me instead of saying in five years let's see and then say the question again in five years in five years i'll be 60 you know what I mean? it's like, so I, I i i talked to the guys i said i know this is a hard thing to do because we still love this but i think i think we should announce that this is it and really make it it and make it count and make it count and i think that's going to make it really special this time around and will it suck that there's an end to it yes but like liam always says something our, our bass player really cool it's like if if you live forever life would mean nothing you know, like the the days you live have meaning because you know they're not infinite. And that's really been um, the case with this last cycle and album for us. It's really been much more meaningful than maybe the last few touring cycles just because we know it's not, you know, we see an end in sight. It's interesting, like you guys and like brand new, um, you guys have like set yourself like an expiration date sort of yeah. thing. Like it's a nice sort of way to end like on a high note because like you guys are doing fantastic like with the what is it three sold out shows at terminal five and like just touring constantly towards like the very end and like brand new is doing like very similar things yeah they're and amazing yeah it's but, really cool they've done with that last record it's yeah amazing. you guys have been around for a long time with them as well and it's yeah. it's cool to see bands kind of just end it on a really strong note rather than just fall apart yeah i'd like, hope that's like an inspiration for other bands to to, to have this courage to just do that mm -hmm. um and it's like I'm not mentioning any names and a lot of these bands that are doing it are friends of mine and I think they're awesome but it just seems so anticlimactic for these bands to like break up because they just aren't as big as they used to be mm -hmm. and then they know like let me try and do my solo thing or whatever and when they realize that individually they're just not going to produce the kind of magic that they produce together at a young age when they really cared. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden they're like, let's get back together and, and uh, you know, get those reunion guarantees, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like four years later, you know, it's like, we just didn't want, it. I have nothing against it. It just doesn't seem exciting to me. That's not. And so uh, not only are we not breaking up because things are dwindling, but we're not breaking up with the intentions of like reuniting, you know, that's not our goal. We're not thinking, yeah. about, we're not counting the years till we jump back in at all. Mm -hmm. It's not even in our minds at all. Yeah. You've also when I was when I was doing that, um, the idea was you you weren't going to continue and play Holiday Inns for the rest of your life. That if you weren't headlining and feeling good about it, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, then it was time to split part ways in a in a good way, like you're yeah. saying, and not just drive it down to you know, like I said, in those days, Holiday Inns and so on. Right. Uh, so it's. You know, it's a very, you should think very positive about that, actually, as a band. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You're not cheating your audience, and you're not cheating yourselves. Right, and that's uh, that's all that matters. If that's the only thing, you know, we've learned after 20 years is that you have to do things for the right reasons, then I feel I've taken away, some, you know, something that will help me for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah. and, and even these bands that, you know, are headlining massive stadiums like Aerosmith or you see like Van Halen's trying to play with David Lee Roth and all this stuff like they hate each other you know like Guns N' Roses too Guns N' Roses yeah. I mean hopefully they get to a point where it's not just well why am I not going to get on stage with this guy when I'm making a million bucks tonight uh, I could just like not talk to him ever after like hopefully a lot of these guys get to the point where they do realize that 
they have something amazing in common and they're doing something great. And I've seen Aerosmith a few times and you see the way Steven Tyler and Joe Perry look at each other and they, they do love each other. But I think when they get off, they probably like have no interest in talking to each other. You know? Right, yeah. Right. yeah. Sure. But you can imagine that, that they're, you're on the road for, let's say it's a six month tour and, and you're so close to each other. And you're, mm-hmm. you're, even though the, the days are probably somewhat boring until you're, you know, playing on the stage unless they're filled with interviews and things. But um, after it's over, I don't want to see you for six months or until we start writing about. I, right. I, I want. I need a six month, nine month break. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. From you, not because it's you, but just from this. Thanks, man. Thing. I thought we were uh, doing pretty good together. <laughs> no, I yeah. just, you're not. I've only. You're okay, but uh, six I mean, months already. You're you're an okay guitarist, but you're not fast <laughs> enough for. What I know, I and I'm also need. not. I don't take enough showers. I don't. There's there's a stench in the in the studio tonight. There is a stench that this guy brought in that is not. Well, it's not. When you work from home, (laughs) why take a shower, man? uh, A band like Aerosmith, of course, has an entourage. Yeah. You know, with them, like Steven Tyler doesn't go out alone, and Joe doesn't go out alone. Yeah, they pay. They have very high paid friends. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they bring family, and they do whatever, whatever. Yeah. But when you're at that level, money doesn't mean anything, you know. Overhead doesn't mean anything. Yeah, they, there shouldn't be any reason they can't make that lifestyle comfortable, for sure, yeah. Well, Fetty Wap uh, from Patterson, New Jersey, mm-hmm. is, has a sort of a paid uh, posse or, you know, yeah. uh, entourage. Really? That goes with him of, of 15 to 17 people. I just oh. did a whole, like, research thing about Fetty mm-hmm. Wap. But That's these crazy. people, some of them would be like a DJ but one person is the guy who's basically getting the cannabis, yeah. you know. Um, the joint cannabis roller, professional joint roller. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically, you know, yeah. so it's a, it's a mix of jobs. Yeah. And some are just guys who he's hang, hung out with for yeah. years. And I say years, he's like 24 years old, but, yeah. you know, for yeah. a long time, you know. Yeah. His 24 is probably a lot older than my 24 was. But, um, but I, I also... Um, when you, I heard you were from the streets of Madison, the New Jersey. I don't, of I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, those, I those think you lived the whole lot of Madison. Yeah, there was a uh, <laughs> a summer when I wouldn't go downtown because uh, I had spoken to this girl, uh, Carrie, I think, and um, she was uh, Joe King's girlfriend. Okay. And I heard Joe King wanted to beat me up, oh, so I did not go downtown. I heard about Carrie. She yeah. got around. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> she got around she all the way news. to Chatham. <laughs> she, I mean, she did the Morris Madison. County circuit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so but, you're hanging out at the Short Hills Mall, just you know, county to county. Yeah, the big, the big ball, the oh, big water yeah. ball, throwing oh, the pennies. Oh yeah. Um, you did though, but by uh, by sort of uh, disbanding now, um, you actually did outlive a bunch of your contemporaries. When we think of whether it's Chester Bennington, Chris Cornell, even yeah. Scott Weiland, who all passed away for for maybe the same reason in different ways. But, yeah. Um, you guys are getting out before who knows any of us. What would uh, yeah. yeah. And what are you trying to say before? I, I, I think you're just a mess. Kill ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're saying. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I, I think definitely, uh, we've talked about this. I mean, yeah. mental illness is, I don't think people realize how rampant mental illness is in the artistic community in general. I mean, uh, there's so many studies on why you need to be crazy in order to be artistic, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And torture, you know. So, um, yeah, that's a valid. That's a valid thing. It's not just, you know, it's a valid uh, statement. I mean, I, I, 
having to maintain that lifestyle and and have a normalcy that is healthy is very difficult. So, yeah, I think we've definitely managed to uh, come out of 20 years feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's good. Yeah. Um, now, you guys have been, uh, I guess, uh, basically an indie band yeah. pretty much for, mm -hmm. for about 20. Were you ever signed to a major label? No. It's always been... Uh, it was Relapse Records, yeah. right, which was originally Colorado and, and now is Pennsylvania. And then uh, you uh, you have Party Smasher. Yeah. So can you kind of go through the whole, for you, the DIY indie thing and how you were able to, even going back to 97, right. basically make a, a, a upper middle class living, yeah. I, I would guess, sure. uh, doing this. Um, yeah. And, and how, what can we learn from what you did? And guys like Nick, who's in a, yeah, yeah. a very good band called A Boy Named John. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, trying to follow that same path. Sure, no, I think there's a lot more to learn from a from a kind of underground band that's made a decent living, um, like, pretty uncompromised. I think there's more to learn than, than from a big major label band who fell on a big advance or, you know, whatever. Um, and um, I think the reason is, is that uh, there, there's, I feel like there's two different ways there's a couple ways to make money in the music business. And the one that I know is to make music and art that you believe in and selling that, that honesty. Um, and there's, there's visual artists who do that, there's painters. Um, and then there's the other way, like following trends and you know getting the right haircut and tattoos or whatever, you know, and signing to the right label and, you know, and, and sometimes that comes and goes and I've seen that and sometimes like people learn something along the way and, and find their path their original voice and, and it ends up being successful but um, the one thing I think the one common thing that I've realized is that if you're honest about what you do and why you do it um, and you try and always do things for the right reasons then people will trust what you're doing and then follow you so we've managed to never become some gigantic trendy band, but we've maintained our fan base and gotten a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger over 20 years. We've always just kind of slowly went this up the ramp that way while I've seen bands come up and down, up and down, you know, on the Warped Tour circuit or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to say that it's, I think it's because we just stuck to our guns and just kept doing our thing regardless of those trends. So that's become our business model. Um, make sure that people trust that we're always going to be doing things for the right reasons so they can stick with us and we can take uh, try things and, and take chances and all those things and hopefully our real fans will, will stick with us through that what did you learn from what he just said? <laughs> just you know be honest with everything and I totally feel that like right now we're kind of considering maybe signing to a label or something mm -hmm. or continuing to do the DIY thing until things pick up on their own yeah you know and it's just it's difficult to kind of figure that out because we're also either graduating college soon mm -hmm. or trying to figure out what's going to happen after and like things are going pretty well for us people like us a lot and we enjoy what we're doing and um i don't know we're just trying to figure out what it is that we need to steps that we need to take and like seeing from what yeah. you guys have done like doing the super diy thing and like signing with like um, like the independence and stuff, yeah. it seems to be working in that way. And like that's something I kind of want to do more because like we have more control over what, like over what we want to do, the music we write, and like yeah. the fans just feel more genuine. It's not like we're being pushed in front of like a market that doesn't know anything about us, but right. they just they're kind of like spoon fed something rather yeah. than they found it 
they want to stick with it and they want to like continue to follow the band. So I yeah, feel like that sounds so that sounds great, and I, and I think it sounds like you realize that like DIY doesn't mean do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it really in this day and age means decide it yourself. Yeah, it's like you can't do everything yourself. So um, whatever parts of the puzzle you decide to do yourself, that's great. But um, I think there's always going to be people who can do things better than than you can or we can, but um, or just that will just occupy time that we need to be creative. So I, I think that's a real lesson as well. Um, you know, we signed to some amazing labels. We had some one-off records with labels that supported the Party Smasher, like sub-label for us. We've partnered with great people that have taken the weight of some things off of our shoulders. And, um, and I've learned something along the way with every single partner or every label we've worked with. But I think the common thread is, is what you said. It was never a label that was going to try to shape us into something we weren't. Mm-hmm. And um, But consequently, you're also working with labels who aren't going to invest a, a lot of money into you. So you do have to learn to be frugal and do certain things yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the takeaway is that finding that balance of finding people who are good at what they do to help and also knowing that there's certain things you just got to do yourself in order to um, optimize your financial situation. Mm-hmm. So your, your last record was uh, uh, distributed through Party Smasher, which is mm-hmm. your own imprint, yep. but also Cooking Vinyl. Yeah. Uh, so what did Cooking Vinyl do? And uh, you already had, because of your success, you were able to probably, I don't mm-hmm. want to say walk in and say, right. let's do this, but there there's had been a track that was in 2016 so you guys yeah. have had an 18 19 year track record there mm-hmm. but what did cooking vinyl do for you that you couldn't do for yourselves that and that's why you wanted them on board i'll be honest with you well for one cooking vinyl uh, i was talking to a number of labels or distributors about getting involved and helping do the party smasher thing and uh, cooking vinyl um had an interesting scenario where they were a uk-based company basically uh, who were putting out amazing? They were, I mean, they were one of the biggest independent labels in the world. Uh, yet they put out albums by The Prodigy or The Cult or Marilyn Manson um, overseas, but they didn't really have a U.S. presence. So they were licensing out those bigger bands to other labels in the U.S., like often majors or something like that. Um, and so when I had really started digging into trying to find a partner to help me release the music. Um, a, a, a friend of mine, um, Howie Gabriel, who was a marketing guy at Warner Brothers uh, initially, had come on to become to help form the U.S. side of Cooking Vinyl. Um, and I met with him, and we were discussing the Party Smasher thing and the projects I was doing. He really believed in it. He believed in what it st- stood for, and said, "Why don't we just start with this? Why don't we do this together?" And um, I suggested some people for him to hire. So it was basically some guys like some good friends that I knew in the business that worked with great labels and indies and punk labels that I felt would be a good addition. So it was almost like I was able to kind of form my label right there with these guys who were starting something new with the backing of a really successful indie from the UK. Um, And what I needed from them, quite frankly, I needed money. (laughs) You know, I need... There's certain projects that don't need a lot of investment. You know, underground bands, new bands that are starting up. But Dillinger... We had five guys who lived off this, some of which have children, some of them have houses, and had traditionally been getting paychecks from record labels to release music, to pay for the studio, to pay for marketing and promotion, 
Um, so I didn't want to, for the purpose of just putting something out solely on my own, take away from the ability to continue the quality of work that we were doing, spend the time in the studio that we needed, you know, use the producer we had been using for many, many years, um, not do everything in a computer, like use outboard gear, use the equipment we wanted to use, take the time to do things in different studios and try different things. So um, I think ultimately uh, there was benefits to, to, to partnering with people who had knowledge we didn't, but we also needed some capital that I didn't want to spend. That's quite frankly. Right, okay. Yeah. So uh, for a band like yours, do you need radio? Do you need radio promotion? Anything like that? I mean, uh, I, or, and, what, and then yeah. also, what about international as well? Right, right. So. It's, you know, it's, it's very hard to start a new band these days, I'll tell you right now, because there's just so much. The outlets that you have to promote yourself, well, it's possible for an independent band to reach a large amount of people. There's just so much competition oh, all the God, time. It's I mean, to get someone to see a Facebook ad is like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's mm -hmm. like throwing a bunch of marbles at someone's face and being like, did you see that one red one? You know, it's like... <laughs> Russia didn't have a problem, so I don't know what you're well, talking about. Well, <laughs> if, if you can hire Russia... They had funding. So. Yeah, if you can hire Russia to tail, deal with your album campaign, <laughs> you do very well, I think. But, um, so it's very difficult. It's very difficult even with the access everybody has now. But um, I will say that um, having worldwide distribution when you're a worldwide touring band, which we are, is really important. Mm -hmm. Really important. So, so they're promoting you, um, so, so getting back to radio. Yeah. So, uh, are you a radio. college so, radio, college radio? Well, we've, the radio we've been lucky enough to have a lot of you know, college radio, satellite radio has always been very supportive. Right. Okay. Um, Octane, Octane, yeah. and Liquid Metal, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, the truth is, after twenty years, we we have good relationships with a lot of these people on our own. You know, um, we've seen some of these DJs and reps grow up in the scene with us. You know, um, I mean, I have a, a retail merch deal with Matt Young over at Warner Brothers. <laughs> you know, he was a DJ at WSOU. Then he went on to work for Blue Grape Merchandise through Roadrunner Records, and then he went on to Band Merch, which was like a merch company owned by Linkin Park's dad. And I, I've just worked with him. I've just followed him. Wherever he went, I went with my merch needs. And because he's, he's an old school, he owned a hardcore label called Bush League Records, who put out a comp I really love with bands, local bands I, I was digging. And, and um, so, you know, and now he's like one of the big dudes, main dudes at... at, at at uh, Wea, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so he's a great resource. Uh, Jose Manga from Liquid Metal, who runs all the metal stuff for for Sirius Radio. I've known him since he was the first guy, one of the first four guys for Sirius Satellite Radio in the whole building. It was him and like two guys. Wow, <laughs> you know, and he was just like a college radio guy who um, loves music and loves metal. He just loves it, loves it, loves it. So I mean, we've seen him come up and seen satellite radio grow and grow and grow and then Howard Stern came on and then it became this massive thing um, and you I'm must not, know you must know Eddie Trunk by the way and then Eddie Trunk so from Eddie, Madison right so Eddie Trunk and I worked at this uh, a record store called Alwook Records that was uh, at the Marsh County Livingston Mall or Morris County Mall Morris County Mall I used and to go Livingston there when Mall. I was with Polygram I used to go there right. and hang posters right so <laughs> so I worked mostly in Morris County Mall but then I'd have to go to Livingston too he was there a little before me he was a little older but we worked with the same people and I mean I, God I mean like 
you know, Danzig used to go in there with Misfits tapes and beg those guys to listen to his band. My band, you know, the Misfits, check it out. You know, like, and, um, and then I've seen Eddie, I've seen Eddie turn into, you know, the host of that metal show on VH1 and all the radio shows, and he's a, he's a personality at all these events and festivals, and I hang out with him all the time. I just bought him, he doesn't know this, because I haven't had time to catch up, and I just bought him a kiss, like, Russian dolls, you know, those things that you open up and the, uh, what are they called? The, the yeah. Bushka, the, I don't know. Whatever yeah, that. I know what you're talking about. Though. Yeah, his favorite band is Kiss, so like <laughs> he just tells me about feuds he has with Gene Simmons, but like <laughs> I got him one of those things from Russia <laughs> with the Kiss, the Kiss ones. So yeah, being in the business this long, I think, I, I think relationships are really important. And if you do things for the right reason and they believe that you're the real deal and you're not some ass kisser, you know what I mean? But you really are just passionate about what you do. Maintaining those relationships are really important. So, so okay. So the relationships are with the people, and the people are the ones who are helping you grow. Yeah. As they're growing, you're growing as a band, and you're right. With and band. I can tell you a story. So in Australia, um, there's a there's a, there's a radio station called Triple J that's really important over there. It's very influential, mm-hmm. and um, you know they play everything from pop music to like underground music to metal. Um, but they're very influential, and I remember one of our—I think our first time in Sydney, Australia—we were playing a, I think it was 16 and up, 15 or 16 and over only show, and there was a kid like plastered against the wall trying to watch us play, and he couldn't get in, mm-hmm. and uh, he was just like, I just saw him like trying to like plaster himself up in the window seat, so we let him in the back door. We <laughs> snuck him in and let him in the back door, and he was so appreciative, and then. Years later, we go in for an interview at Triple J, and he's the host of the metal show. Wow. He is the guy that will play. If you want to be played on that radio station, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he was like, I play you all the time. I'll never forget that day. You let us in the show. You were so nice. You didn't have to. My point is, you never know. Yeah. You never know where gotta, someone's going to lead. Yeah, you know? you so those relationships are really important. Yeah, mm-hmm. For sure. Marconi, we've dominated. What do, what do you have something to add? I'm sorry that you're on assignment. No tweets? We can get to tweets. It's because we've been so... so go, I was actually almost thinking of dropping the tweets because I haven't had time because we've been talking so much that I have not been looking at the tweets. Yeah. I just like to say the word tweets. 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 Getting a call um, from our singer right now. You, you, what'd you say? Getting a call from our singer right now. That's the one call in six months, you know? We don't talk between tours. <laughs> one speaker. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, uh, here, here's Wikipedia. When I was looking you up, uh, Wikipedia, one of the things was uh, that you are known for your outspoken views on the music industry. And then it linked to, you spoke at Loyola yeah, uh, University. College, yeah, and yeah. I didn't watch that whole 44-minute yeah. interview. Smart. It's like 45 minutes of rambling. Yeah. Um, you should read the comments on that, by the way. Yeah, I read, I read a few, and I was like, all right. A lot of people like the woman who interviewed you. Yeah, she was she attractive. She was a very attractive woman, yeah. so most of the comments were about, not about you, but they were about this woman who interviewed right. him, who is a professor. And, uh, yeah. So actually, most of the comments that come on uh, our radio shows were about me, not the guests, because I'm mm-hmm. just as attractive. As yeah, well, it's the cleavage you got going yeah, on here I'm, with this, uh, I, I this got little a zipper I've, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't want it's to not say fair. I'm, I'm mesmerized. Yeah, I'm mesmerized, I'm mesmerized too. Right it's hard to be me. Yeah. But uh, outspoken views of the music, do you have outspoken views, or or is that just media? I mean, look, I'm saying it now, you know. Um, I don't think I'd say anything anyone doesn't already know. 
So. Right, so that's that's. A, I mean, I will say that most bands are garbage, and they just try and like follow trends. And I think I basically said that, and I've seen them right. come and go, and most of them are working at McDonald's right now. So. Right. Well, let me ask. That's you. outspoken. <laughs> that's the truth. Well, I, I we had a I had a class the other day. And, uh, you know, Tom Petty just died two yeah. days ago. So uh, Tom Petty died on Monday. On Tuesday, in a class, I started playing some Tom Petty music. Mm. Free Fallen comes on. And I go, well, you all know Tom Petty, right? And this one kid sitting in second row, sh shaking his head. I go, you've never heard of Tom Petty? He goes, now. So I've turned up Free Fallen. Uh -huh. Do you know this song? He's a good girl, yeah. loves her mother. You know, get into mm -hmm. it. I'm free. You know, get to the yeah. chorus. He's just, nah, nope. I've never heard this song. So um, he's a hip hop R and B right. guy, but then yeah. I went. In, I spent half an hour talking to the class about listening to everything. Yeah, I'm not a fan of reggae music, but I know reggae music. Yes, yeah. I'm a drummer, so I can play yeah, it. If I had to all that yeah. stuff. But um, I mean, everybody would say you're just a metal guy, but I know growing up, you listened to more than just metal, and, and yeah, you know, for that sure. shaped who you are. How about getting into that sort of the listening to everything, creativity, sponge. Yeah, well, I think everything is is like brings you down the rabbit hole of something else like hip-hop early hip-hop was like i was really into early hip-hop probably first and um run dmc and just being from jersey young mc know. was the first cd you're like, yeah. Right? yeah how do you know that i don't know research young <laughs> mc was yeah what, what was the what was the song because uh bust a, move. bust a move yeah that was a good one 1990 it had flea on bass do the bass line that's for that. right yeah. and i was like i loved flea you know i loved flea on bass he was just like such a badass you know but um yeah and and there you go like there was that combination of like flea and then you had run dmc with Aerosmith and anthrax oh, you know yeah, yeah. public public enemy and like it was just you know there was all kinds of crossover stuff happening there that was not rap metal it was not new metal it was just like eclectic eclecticness basically you know hip-hop was sampling from these guys and it just made sense to know about all that music in order to create something new. So, um, a Dillinger Escape Plan is definitely an amalgamation of many different styles put into like a blender of like grind and punk basically energy. So, yeah, you guys like put in a ton of different elements from a ton of different genres and made something completely unique. And we'll try uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try it. But it definitely stands out. And like I can tell you guys have certain, each of you guys have certain influences and just bring it right to the table. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like to follow a certain trend, like you said, just doesn't work. At least in my perspective, I'm sure yeah. in yours too. Like create your own sound instead of looking for one to fit into. Yeah. And I have to admit, I think we were lucky enough to have given up on trying to get successful. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I'm not going to pretend that if someone handed me like a, you know, like a, um, Avenged Sevenfold, like, we're going to sign you, give you $2 million, you can be Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, or Metallica 2, which one are you going to be? And just, you know what I mean? Check, like, we wouldn't have taken it, but we didn't get that, that opportunity. We'd given up on making it. We were about your age, you know, graduating college and getting into the workforce, and Dillinger really was just music that we wanted to make. And that's when it worked. So that was the lesson. Like when we stopped trying to create what we thought people wanted is when it started to work. And I was lucky enough to, to fall onto that, like, and realize it early enough to be like, I got to keep that. This is what works. This is what's working. You know, not trying to make a band like the bands we like. Mm -hmm. And um, I do, I, I really feel privileged to have like fallen.
bad word. I, I said I, I didn't I didn't Food I don't think down. I said the full CK at the end. <laughs> um, football, but, yeah. football. We were talking about football. But but mother flicker. <laughs> Listen here, mother flicker. <laughs> um, uh, so we Marconi, uh, we need to wrap things up. Do you have a final comment as we wrap things up? Yeah, I do have a question because you've been in the business so long, and you. Not as much in- as you're a legend, though. <laughs> you're a legend. In indie. Um, in the days of streaming, now can an indie band make enough money to survive without doing something else? Um, I'm not talking about let's put the live aside, but I'm sure you've seen that the revenue has gone one way or the other. Yeah. In terms of recorded music. Want to comment on that a little? Well, I think like it, it's clear that the major labels are starting to make more money off streaming than on physical sales. But I'm not sure if like an unknown independent artist can live alone off streaming. Uh, I I don't think that it's weighed enough in the artist's favor. Uh, I, if the major labels aren't happy with their YouTube deals, I can't imagine that just some independent person with no power can possibly monetize things like that enough to survive. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I don't think without like a, a live presence, it is possible to really survive per- well <laughs> without having another job, unfortunately. Would you come back another day? And yeah, because there, there's a lot of stuff actually we didn't we didn't cover any about anything yeah. about the management yeah. anything about camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh so maybe yeah. sometime in the spring if you'd be open. It's only thirty well, minutes away. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the hood. So. Uh, I'll buy you a piece of a slice of pizza. So oh, we deal. do need to wrap it up. So uh, Dr. Esteban Marconi, thank you very much for being here and being on assignment and calling in. Yes, yes, on assignment. I'll see you uh, <laughs> next week. Yes, we'll see you next week on, on the radio show when our guest is going to be Sean Stringle from Live Nation. And we want to thank uh, Ashley Weltner for being the engineer. Thank you, Ashley. Very good of you. Yes. Nick Spillert for being our student co-host. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me again. Thanks to Matt Young, who we mentioned already, but who uh, did the initial introduction of me to you, which got you here. So thank you to Matt Young, great guy who's been on our show. Uh, and thank you also to uh, me. So, and William Patterson University. Oh, and we should also thank uh, Ben Weinman from uh, many different bands. Yeah. And many different yeah. pieces of success. Many, many and uh, local New Jersey. Please don't talk while I'm talking, Ben. <laughs> Sorry, sir. So I'm your professor. Am your I getting prof- graded I, on this? What? Am I getting graded on yes, this? Yes, you are. Um, I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. You've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. Thank you. Listen, go to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. At the end of every show, Ben, you know what we say? We don't say hello. You know what we say?